Additional support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Integrated Heat Treating Solutions, bringing heat treating into the 21st century. If you're heat treating parts the way you've done for 20 or more years, it is time to upgrade. Visit www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com and bring your heat treating into the 21st century. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, and I want to let you know that you are about to listen to the fourth and final episode in a series on rethinking heat treatment with Joe Powell of Integrated Heat Treating Solutions. You can find the previous episodes at www.heattreattoday.com radio or simply Bing or Google Heat Treat Radio, Joe Powell. It will be the very first thing that pops up. All right, let's jump into today's episode. First off, welcome back. And let's, if you don't mind, take us on a 30,000 or 40,000 foot overview of what it is you've been doing at Integrated Heat Treating Solutions. Well, Doug, thank you again for doing these podcasts. I really appreciate it. Um, what we've been doing the last, uh, 23 years and the last 75 years at Akron Steel Treating is applying heat treatments, uh, to parts made by others. And we have over 1200 customers on our customer list at Akron Steel Treating and they use various materials. Um, we kind of grew up in the shadow of the Cleveland market, which is the largest market for heat treaters. And they're the largest number of concentration of heat treat, commercial heat treaters in the Cleveland market, uh, possibly outnumbered by Detroit at one time. But I, I still think that we're probably the number one market for heat treating in this part of the country. And what has happened over the, the last century in the, in the, in the 20th century is that Heat treating has become very, very good. It is uh, uh, new equipment has been developed, controls, thermocouples, oxygen probes, vacuum furnaces, uh, vacuum quenching, high-pressure vacuum quenching, um, oil skimmers, uh, new quenchants made with reverse solubility polymers. All of these things uh, have come together and made heat treating very, very good in the 20th century. However, as part of that, uh, there has been a commoditization of heat treatment. And that means that uh, the uh, heat treating got so good that parts rarely crack, uh, parts rarely distort unacceptably, and companies have uh, devised methods for correcting the distortion through hard-turning grinding, straightening, flattening, uh, you name it. And the part makers and the heat treaters get along in a kind of a peaceful coalition uh, to get the parts out the door to the end user. However, in the 21st century, that's just not good enough. In lean manufacturing, you have to offer uh, an integrated solution for what you're doing. The, The entire value chain uh, for making a product has to be on the same page. They have to be in alignment. 
the processes have to be in the proper order. And uh, what we're trying to do with integrated heat treating solutions is bring the uh, last dimension of part design, what we call the Z dimension, uh, the Z dimension of part design to the part makers and to their designers and to their material suppliers. And so that we present a solution that delivers the optimal amount of value and eliminates the waste from heat treatment or forging, uh, as we will talk about today. Great. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that, that is, in fact, the thing we're trying to bring uh, in these four episodes that we've been doing. Uh, we've been trying to talk to people about bringing heat treating into the 21st century, which is, uh, there's a good, on your website, integratedheattreatingsolutions.com, there is a good uh, illustration, good table there that shows what heat treating was like in the 20th century and what it is like in the 21st century. So that's that's basically what we're talking about. And it all revolves around, just a quick recap of the previous three uh, podcasts we've done, it all revolves around a, a customized heating, but more, uh, more importantly, a customized quenching of materials so that, in fact, the distortion of those parts are predictable and that the part design can be altered so that there is essentially no post-heat treatment processing. In other words, you can pretty much eliminate grinding, pretty much eliminate any type of machining, straightening, that type of thing. Once heat treated and quenched with the technologies that you're talking about, the part is essentially pack and go. It's ready to, ready to go. So we've talked about, we've talked about uh, two other examples. Uh, actually, we've talked about several, but the ones in the recent podcast, we talk about an 18-inch bevel gear, which was quite interesting. Yep. Then we talked about a, uh, a fracking pump valve seat. Uh, which was also quenched in this way. So today, uh, Joe, you and I want to talk about, as you alluded to, the forging industry. And we're going to talk about yeah. something called forge-intensive quenching. So if you don't mind, tell us what that is. For those people in the forging industry, what is direct from forge-intensive quenching? Well, it's the principle that uh, the forging process uses a lot of BTUs of heat to heat up a billet and then bang it into a shape and get the grain flow going in the direction that's going to be uh, great for the part mechanical properties. And then once that, once that forged shape is attained and the grain flow is attained, uh, the part is allowed, usually allowed to cool uh, at the end of the forging trim die line. And those cooling forgings will all cool at different rates. Um, and because they cool at different rates, you have some fast cooling on the surface and on the corners and on the thin sections. And you have some very slow cooling in the core. And at the end of the day, uh, the part needs to be heated a second time uh, in a normalization process. And that normalization process heats the part to a high temperature um, and then does a controlled cooling uh, of the part to align the grains of the part uh, and the size of the grains 
to remove the kind of the mishmash of structure that's present in an as-forged part. Then, if the part is going to be hardened uh, at some point, and, you know, usually there's a lot of rough machining that goes on to remove the scale from the forging process, there's also um, machining necessary to remove the scale from the from the steel mill that that has basically been hammered into the surface of the forging, and all of that uh, rough machining uh, is done in, uh, to basically present a rough machine part that can then be heat treated. And so companies like Akron Steel Treating or uh, the captive heat treats at the forging plants will then heat the part a third time to the austenitizing temperature, to a high temperature. And uh, if the part is made out of a martensitic steel, they'll, they'll quench it, uh, usually in oil or polymer, and then possibly temper it to stabilize the part and present it to the, to the, to the part maker for final uh, machining, grinding, and, and uh, whatever final processing needs to be done to turn that forging into the, a useful part mm-hmm. uh, with the desired mechanical properties. Right. And so Akron Steel Treating doesn't do a lot of uh, uh, forge heat treat. Uh, we do some aerospace parts for um, braking systems for airplanes. The, uh, they call them torque tubes. It's basically the hub of the uh, braking system for the airplane. And those torque tubes are generally made out of forgings, which we see uh, after forging and then see again after 50% of the material is removed uh, and the part is then heat treated. And in those instances, direct from the forge intensive quenching is not going to work. However, in a ground engaging tool like a... uh, uh, like some of the tools that we uh, tested in our project that was funded by the Defense Logistics Agency through a group called ProFast, which was a partnership of the Forging Industry Association uh, and the um, Defense Logistics Agency. Uh, by the way, the Defense Logistics a- Agency, DLA, is... is uh, the Walmart for the government. They basically supply all of the stuff. Uh, probably a better analogy is the Amazon, uh, where they have giant uh, stores of parts. They also are the rep- the um, repository for the 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 um, some of the plans and the specifications, and even some of the tooling will be. Uh, they'll keep an, an eye on. The tooling. So, if anybody wants to make a part for a for a submarine, you know, 50 years after it's built, they they can do it, or they can get it done. So, in any event, that that supply chain is uh, not particularly lean, but it is very very critical to the defense of our country. And those parts, uh, they're always looking for ways, uh, DLA is always looking for ways of getting the parts better, faster, cheaper, and also uh, legacy parts where um, you try to find somebody that made something 20 years ago 
and get some more made because uh, repair parts are needed and, and the repair stores are not always uh, going to be there when they're needed. So they're always looking for ways of shortening the supply chain uh, time as well as the costs. And this direct from the forge intensive quench project came out of a desire by the Forging Industry Association, uh, which incidentally, Akron Steel Treating has been a member since 2012 because we've always felt that um, the heat treat process, if integrated with the forging process, and if we work together with the forgers, we could create a a, a more streamlined uh, uh, processing as well as a uh, a better part with a with a leaner material and companies have uh like the Timken Steel Company have come out with uh low alloy um uh, low alloy materials that are um forged all the time and then they do a controlled cooling where they'll actually air cool the forging and with the alloying elements that are in there uh, they're able to come up with the mechanical properties directly from the forge after a, a, a controlled air cool. And no normalization is needed and no no uh, further austenization or third heating is needed. Or So the part is basically uh, air quenched and tempered right there in a controlled manner uh, from the hot forge. So... Some folks in uh, India and some folks in Japan have tried several times to do direct from the forge liquid quenching using oils uh, directly from the forge. And what they've wound up finding is that the oil quench catches on fire <laughs> and yeah, the, yeah. and and a and at worse, if they can keep it from catching on fire, uh, by enclosing the quench under an inert atmosphere, they're still going to have the problem of the very high heat, like, you know, 2,000 to 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, creating a steam blanket of hot oil, or in the case of polymer water, uh, basically a steam blanket of polymer and water mix around the outside of the part, and not being able to uniformly quench the part because the the thin sections will very quickly quench out. The uh, thick sections will sit there under a uh, blanket of gas, and essentially those two mixes of uh, uh, nucleate boiling, very fast evaporative cooling in the thin sections, and a full-blown gas blanket on the thick sections create a non-uniform shell around the outside of the forging. And as that part cools under that non-uniform shell, it's also going to thermally shrink in a non-uniform way. And it's also going to then, when it hits the, when it cools to the martensite start temperature, it's going to start transformation uh, and phase change in a non-uniform way in that shell. Right. So the successes of direct from the forge quenching uh, didn't happen until this project that we started, I believe it was 2015, with the DLA and Forging Industry Association tech committee members who sat down and, and said, you know, do you think we can do this in water? If we could do it in water, 
we obviously eliminate um, the the fire hazard, but how do we eliminate the boiling hazard or the boiling issue and the non-uniformity? And that's where uh, we just happen to have at that time 15 years experience in applying the intensive quenching process or intensive quench process. Right. And uh, luckily, uh, John Turpak, uh, who was then working with the DLA and um, and the Forging Industry Association as a technical advisor, uh, saw the benefit in uh, giving it a try because we had done lots of parts that people had said over the years, both at Akron Steel Treating and Euclid Heat Treating, you can't do that. And we did it. And we applied it in the case of uh, the valve seat to ductile iron to replace an 8620 carburized seat. So we have this great flexibility. We have this great new tool. We just need to use it or at least try it at the forge. And that's what the DLA funded. And they um, they basically gave us uh, a budget for uh, the building of a prototype unit, which was built, and it's pictured in the uh, report that will uh, the final report that will I'm sure attach to this podcast. And the forgers and the heat readers can take a look at that report, and it shows uh, the test parts that were actually quenched directly from the forge. Uh, at Beulah Forge in Cleveland, and then we moved the prototype unit to, uh, I believe it went next to Welland Forge in Canada, and then the third place it went to was Clifford Jacobs Forge in uh, Illinois. Right. Uh, and the up and the upshot of all of this was that once we figured out that if we could remove the film boiling from the outside of the hot forging, we could basically set the shell, and once the shell is set, we get uh, we get on most parts and most geometries um, a martensite shell that's formed, and that martensite shell continues to form down into the layers of the onion uh, below the surface as the martensite temperature is, is uh, reached. And that martensite transformation continues by conduction uh, very uniformly through the mass of the part. And so what you end up with is a part that uh, comes out of the quench uh, pretty much like it went through a normalization process and then a third reheating and an oil quench uh, and a temper because we, we, we get some self-tempering uh, as well because we interrupt the uh, quench, the intensive water quench before the part is fully cooled. Right. Nonetheless, we found that in the first phase of the testing, we found that parts should be uh, tempered in a tempering furnace to develop the full ductility, to, full, uh, to develop the full um, effects of the tempering process. So uh, that process is still done after the parts come out of the quench, but you eliminate the normalization process and you eliminate the, the third reheating for a an oil quench and temper that would normally be required. Can you tell us what parts were actually run? Yeah, there was a variety of parts, um, and they're all pictured in that report. Mm-hmm. And um, they they ranged from a uh, 
a link that weighed, I believe it weighed close to 50 pounds, mm-hmm. um, all the way down to a tine that was on a, uh, a tiller machine, you know, ground engaging tool, uh, a tine went into a piece of farming equipment. And one of the parts in between was a pintle adapter uh, that was basically a mounting post for a machine gun for the Army. Mm-hmm. And this part went through several operations, and it's it's documented in the in the uh, report. But we basically saved about thirteen dollars per part to the army by eliminating the multiple steps that took place after forging, and then just incorporated it into a, uh, an integrated heat treating solution right there at the trim die. In just one second, we'll talk with Joe about the process of getting parts from the forge press to the quench. But first, we need to talk for a minute about your heat treating processes. You need to know that Integrated Heat Treating Solutions provides a holistic approach to your heat treating operation and can provide you with amazing results, which could save you mega bucks in operational costs. If you're heat treating parts the same way you've done it, for 10, 20, or even 30 years, it's time to upgrade. Learn more by going to www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com. Don't heat treat the way you did it in the 19th century or even the 20th century. Get your processes into the 21st century. Contact Integrated Heat Treating Solutions today. That's www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com. Now, let's hear how Joe is able to intensively quench various parts and what commercial value this brings to the forging company. How did that look? I mean, let's just take the, the, the tine, okay? Take the tine. So it's stamped out on a, on a forge press. You got a hot piece of metal put on a yep. forge press, stamped out. Yep. Then yep. one at a time, these parts are taken off of the forge yeah, press every... and, and immediately yep. put in a quench? Yeah, after they come out of the trim die, they're still pretty hot. They're they're still austenitic, mm-hmm. and uh, they range in temperature from like 1900 all the way up to 2200 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, and then they go in directly into the quench, and then 15 seconds later or 45 seconds later, another one comes out of the trim die and goes down into the chute and up the conveyor and into a box to await tempering. And we time the conveyor so that the dwell time in the water, the intensive water quench, is um, properly uh, timed so that the core still has enough heat to self-temper, but not too hot so that it over-tempers the part. Right, right. So I'm curious about the, how the part, the part is off, it comes off the trim die. Is it is it uh, manipulated? I mean, you've got a manipulating hand that comes in, grabs it, takes it off, puts it well, into in the, the quench in tank. This, in the case, yeah, in the case of the prototype, it, the manipulating hand was the guy, that, the forger, <laughs> came in with a <laughs> okay. set of tongs, yeah. and and provided a, a very nineteenth century, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, placement of that of that part. But obviously, all of this stuff can be. Uh, automated and integrated and with the proper equipment can be done in a way that um, 
is seamless from the time that the billet yeah. is heated. Yeah, it could um, all be automated. T- tell me this, though, is so that tine, again, when it's, the guy took it off the trim die, did he just throw it in an intensive quench tank, or was it fixed? No, 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 no. Have- it went... Yes, it went in. It was placed on a on a uh, picture an elevator platform, and it was it was placed on an elevator, and then the elevator went down between two panels that presented water at very high flow uh, to the part and knocked off the film boiling. And I should add, with the 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 tine, the tine was the thinnest part. And the enthusiasm at Clifford Jacobs was very, very high because once they figured out that this worked, the guys on the floor said, hey, let's try this part. Hey, let's try that part. Let's try this part. Let's try that part. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, uh, in the first test at Beulah Forge, we actually tested, uh, I believe, four different alloy materials. And, and so all of those variables would have to be integrated into the the design, and I call it the Z dimension of the design, so that you pick the right material, you have the right forging temperature of the billet, you don't overheat it, because if you go over one of the things, one of the lessons learned in the four-year study that we did uh, is that you, if you overheat the, <clears throat> if you overheat the uh, forging you know, to, quote-unquote, uh, you know, to help with dye life, um, that overheating of the forging to like 2,400 degrees, almost to damn near to the melting point, um, you blow the grains up and no amount of intensive quenching is going to bring them back. So you got to keep the temperature around 2,150. That's about the maximum in Fahrenheit. Um, and I apologize to your foreign listeners because I don't think in centigrade, even after all these years at my <laughs> no at my age, I'm st- I'm still thinking in Fahrenheit. So uh, all I can say is that if you if you maintain a forging temperature uniformly around 2150 in the billet, we can we can devise a quenching system that will blow the film boiling off and set that shell. Uh, in the part, in all but the thinnest parts in the prototype. Uh, And in the prototype, I have to give a caveat here. The the time uh, we did several, uh, I think it was about 150 times in a row. Um, And then I believe the water heated up because we only had so much chilling capacity in the water tank. Right. But uh, as the water heated up, the quench wasn't as effective and the tines actually exhibited some cracks when we ran another 150. Uh, and, and it's because there was film boiling in the holes, the mounting holes. Right. So what that lesson learned was you have to have, um, a, a flow, but you also have to have some pressure. Uh, so you instantly impact that part and that instant impact, uh, is key in the uh, the proprietary processes that Integrated Heat Treating Solutions is developing to bring the next version of the the DFIQ unit um, to make it able to do the thinner parts without cracking them. Right, DFIQ, of course, standing for Direct from Forge Intensive Quench. So, right, 
Okay, so so we had those parts. You 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 did it. Now you've referred to a study multiple times, and that study is a 2019 study called Forging Process Improvement Using Intensive Quench, uh, and it looks like that was in fact, as you mentioned, um, uh, funded by the DLA, and it looks like it was in either 2014 or 15 here, according to the report. So yes. we will yep. make that report available. People can take a look at it. I think anyone that's a, a forger would uh, in a forge shop or a captive forge would certainly want to take a look at that forge press companies are they would they be interested in this could they build quenches into the actual press itself so that this process could be uh you know more or less in line yes absolutely uh, again it is a different paradigm for them just like i mentioned before all the heat treating equipment makers call themselves furnace companies and all the forgers call the forging equipment makers call themselves press makers uh, or die makers, you know, forging die makers. Uh, the reality is um, the process continues and the mechanical properties and the setting of those grain flows happens in the heat treating process. And the refinement of those grains happens in the heat treating process. And that happens in the quenching process. So again, um, we need to integrate that that quench into the forming equipment. And again, I have no intention as integrated heat treating solutions or Akron steel treating and getting into the business of building systems. That's not my thing. What my thing is, is develop the, a robust process that can be applied and that process can then be implemented using automation and new equipment with the proper pumps and the proper material handling to, you know, that's all integrated into a seamless, a seamless process. Right. So, so let's talk just very briefly about the, the benefits if we can. Now we've already alluded to quite a few of them, but let's try to enumerate them here. If we can, the benefits to a, a captive forge, uh, shop, of considering a DFIQ type system, what, why do it? What's the commercial value? Well, um, we can save up to sixty-six percent of the energy that's needed to heat treat that part. Uh, the part comes off the trim die and is cooled in a box or set aside somewhere. It then needs to be reheated and normalized. It then needs to be reheated a third time and austenitized before a quench and temper. And that's a lot of energy. And it's also not usually done at the forge plant. It's usually done either at a, a captive heat treat that's integrated with the, uh, the forging company or it goes to a commercial heat treat where they hu use huge furnaces continuous furnaces to, uh, you know, reheat the parts and quench and temper them. And, you know, I'm not going to make a lot of friends in, in the, you know, the areas that do this, but, you know, if we're going to compete in the world and make great parts and be lean, uh, and save, save energy and also, uh, save carbon emissions, we've got to stop heating parts that don't need to be reheated if you can avoid it. Right. And it doesn't, and, I, and I'm not going to claim that it works on each and every part and that it should be used for each and every part. I'm just saying there's a lot of parts that could be made a lot more efficiently 
if we would quench them right at the at the trim die. Right. So one of the benefits you just mentioned potentially saving sixty six percent basically two-thirds, because you don't have to do a second and a third heat. So that's one benefit. What, what else do we have? Well, mechanical properties. Uh, what you can have is better, better uniformity of mechanical properties, and you can also elicit more hardenability out of a particular alloy by having this higher ability to harden that we have uh, with a very, very fast quench. So that intensity of quench locks in mechanical properties that are unattainable uh, in a typical oil quench or polymer water quench. Uh, one example of that is, is a forging that we do for a company. Uh, in fact, it was uh, one of the companies in the study. It's a 44-inch gear rack. It's 44 inches long, about 5 inches wide, and about 4 inches thick. And this gear rack is used in a piece of mining equipment. Um, and actually, 10 of them are used on each side in a tower. And this gear rack allows the, uh, the spinning drilling rig to go up and down as, and spin as it uh, is drilling holes in, in the earth. Um, this part is, was traditionally made from 4330 material, but uh, the customer, the end-use customer, and the people using this piece of mining equipment said, you know, we, we'd really like to be able to replace and repair these gear racks when they get worn or, or a, teeth gets, a tooth gets broken. Um, if we could do this in the field, this would be great. But with 4330 material, we can't because we have to pre- and post-heat the weld when we replace or repair a tooth in the field. And that's just not practical in some cases if this piece of equipment is on the side of a mountain and it's pretty cold outside. Right, right. So is there a way to get field repairability? And that's a a topic that the DLA is very interested in because, uh, you know, equipment used by the Army is oftentimes in in very cold environments and used in very cold environments. So is there a way to repair that piece of equipment uh, without taking it offline or bringing it back someplace uh, for repairs? So this this particular gear rack, <coughs> they wanted what they wanted was after they uh, forged it to a rough shape with the gear teeth in on one side. And um, they had a forging that looked pretty much like a gear rack and was ready for rough machining. They wanted to be able to still get the same mechanical properties from a leaner hardenability steel like 4130 to replace the 4330 so that they could weld it in the field without pre and post heating to avoid cracking the part or the weld. And they came to us and at Akron Steel Treating and they said, do you think you can do this with your 6,000 gallon batch system? Um, and we said, we don't know. And I took a look at the Jomini curve for 4330 and the Jomini curve for 4130 and, and said, you know, it's gonna be close. I don't know. Uh, because the thing's four inches 
thick and by five inches wide, <coughs> you know, I don't know. Let's try some. And that, that has always been my favorite answer. Well, let's try it. You know, if it blows up or it doesn't work, I'm going to learn something. You might not be happy because I blew up your part, but I learned a hell of a lot and I'm happy <laughs> and we're, we're going to move on. Right. Um, so anyway, um, they gave us uh, five parts, five actual parts made out of 4130, and we heat treated them in, uh, in our 6,000-gallon system, and then we sectioned them, and we found out that they turned out very, very uniform. Um, they had the, the right uh, surface hardness all over the part, and they had the right core hardness throughout the 44-inch length. And so then they did some field trials and they said everybody was happy and, and there it went. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, so in that case, the benefit is potentially being able to replace, uh, higher alloy parts with lesser alloy parts. You get field repairability costs less to manufacture the parts. So that's one benefit. Then you also talked about the machine. Easier to machine, right. And you also talked about the fact that you can do significant energy savings, which also shortens, potentially shortens the lead time because you're not having to, you're not having to go through three processes, but only one, you know, instead of two or three, you're doing only one. Then the one thing we haven't mentioned, which I think probably should be mentioning uh, explicitly, we've alluded to it, and that's the elimination of some environmentally unfriendly quench media. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a water quench. It uses a little bit of rust preventative salt, and that's it. That's, uh, it's water. And you've got and better, not, and obviously you've got better mechanical properties, which you've also mentioned. Okay, that's super. Yeah. That's super. And there's one more chapter to this, and it ties back to podcast number two, and that is we noticed that during the quench, um, well, first of all, we do these, parts 15 at a time on racks in our in our uh, controlled atmosphere furnace and then transfer them uh, over the handling cart all 15 at a time and and quench them in our 6,000 gallon system. We noticed that when they went into the quench, they're straight, but when they come out of this quench, they are all uniformly bowed about one inch at the middle of the 44 inch length. Yeah, And we mentioned to the customer, you know, when, when it's time to redo these forging dies, what you should do is bow the, bow the forging so that it comes out of the trim die with that one-inch bow in the opposite direction. And, and then once it quenches, it'll quench to fit and be relatively straight and will avoid then the cold straightening operation that is done after heat treat and temper. Uh, to get the part straight enough so it can be uh, rough machined. Right, right. So, uh, again, time savings as well as monetary savings, and we're not imparting cold strains into the part that's been hardened uh, after heat treat, which is a no-no, because those cold strains can, in fact, uh, find a a discontinuity in the material or uh, an inclusion, and the two combined can often, cannot often, but uh, once in a great while, a part will literally blow up as it's being straightened, 
and fly across the room into, you know, two pieces. So, right, right. Uh, cold straightening is something you want to avoid if at all possible on any kind of part. You're right. So, so again, the benefit there being that you can go back to the part designer, the part designer and the uh, heat treater can get along. Yeah. That's good. So, okay, great. So, Joe, let's back out again to 30,000 feet. Don't, we're not talking about the gear racks anymore, just talking generally. Concluding thoughts. What are we, what are, what are, what's the main message we're trying to communicate here? Well, the integration of lean and heat treating and forging. Uh, I think bringing all, all of that together, all of that lean thinking and applying it to the part design at the front end and the material selection at the front end so that we deliver the most added value with the least amount of waste in the process to the end user. Right, right. That's exactly right. So I guess I'd just like to wrap up by saying this, too. I, th- I think there are, there are a large number of people who are in the, in the Heat Treat Today audience that I think ought to be interested in this. Basically, anybody anybody who's a captive heat treater, manufacturer with their own in-house heat treat, who's doing oil quenching or anything of that sort, ought to be thinking and doing it in currently doing it in batch, ought to be thinking about contacting Joe to see if we can eliminate that batch process, put the heat treat directly in line. So those are those are manufacturers. Also, as we just talked today, they're the forging shops ought also to be interested in this, uh, taking forge, uh, taking forge park, uh, parts off the finished forge, trim forge, and, uh, and putting them directly into a quench. But there's one other group that also ought to be interested in this and ought to be talking to you, Joe, in my mind, and that is the, the heat treat equipment manufacturers who, you know, have a stake here. They have a stake here because it's the their their bat current batch processes. If we continue to move down this path into the 21st century, they could be on the cutting edge of providing the type of equipment that can be potentially more inline and and you know can be more quench type equipment. So, that, for what it's worth, I think that's worth mentioning. Yes, it's tw- the 21st century of heat treating is moving towards induction heating and uh, individual part-by-part quenching. Right. And that, that is really the only way to control distortion consistently and also to effectively get the most that an alloy hardenability has to offer uh, for the end user in terms of strength and ductility. Right. All right, so if these people want to get in touch with you, Joe, what's, what's, the, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, through the website, uh, integratedheatreatingsolutions.com or mm-hmm. ihtsacron.com. Uh, okay. the, other, the other person that uh, is working with me very closely in the Forging Industry Association Technical Committee is Rick Brown. Uh, Rick Brown is a, f- a former, uh, former executive at Timken Steel uh, here in Canton, Ohio. He helped develop a supply chain for making parts out of uh, seamless tubing that Timken made, still makes. Uh, and that supply chain included uh, not only 
cutting up tubing into rings and making parts out of those rings, but also heat treatment. And in some cases, forging as well. So Rick has a wealth of experience. Um, He's a great guy. And uh, he is one of our integrated heat treating solutions consultants that helps um, people uh, at uh, the part makers, the part designers, and the end users to get the most value out of the heat treating process and the forging process uh, as possible. So we're all, we're all working towards that goal of moving heat treatment from the 20th century fully into the 21st century. Yeah, great, great. And I will mention also, if anyone's interested in contacting Joe uh, and you want to email me, you're more than welcome to do that. My email is doug at heattreattoday.com. You can do that. I'll be glad to put you in touch with Joe directly. So, Joe, thank you very much. I I appreciate it. I think it's been a great four-part series and uh, looking forward to seeing, seeing how this progresses over the next several years. Very good. Thanks, Doug. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode. If you want to go back to previous episodes to hear the three previous installments in this series, or if you'd just like to go back and listen to any episode, head over to www.heattreattoday.com slash radio, or simply Bing, Google, or DuckDuckGo Heat Treat Radio. I can guarantee we'll be the first thing that pops up. Joe Powell would be happy to hear from you and discuss this topic and or your specific heat treating needs further. Again, go to www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com or www.akronsteeltreating.com and submit your inquiry or question there. You could also send an email directly to me and I'll put you in touch with Joe. My email is doug at heat treattoday.com we're always interested in new heat treat radio topics send me an email with what you find fascinating so we can cover it in a future episode of heat treat radio additionally if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode send me a brief email and i will most certainly be in touch again my email is doug at heattreattoday.com looking for more heat treat resources perhaps in the medical and energy industry, Bing or Google, Heat Treat Today, and and we should be the first result that you see. In less than two weeks, our fourth quarter print edition, which does focus in on medical and energy heat treating, will be released on our website. The digital edition is chock full of fascinating articles from the medical and energy heat treating industries. Imagine heat treating without cracking or distortion. That's what the good people at Integrated Heat Treating Solutions bring to the table. Heat Treat Today would like to thank Integrated Heat Treating Solutions for their financial support of this broadcast. Find out more at www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advance written permission from Heat Treat Today. Jonathan Lloyd is Heat Treat Radio's audio producer and created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. See his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Bethany Funk is Heat Treat Today podcast editor. 
Thank you, Bethany. And I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thank you for listening.